We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charge podcast presented by Blue Wire Podcast Network. Comes to you live on a Saturday morning, uh, 4th of July weekend, I suppose. So hopefully everybody has a, a good weekend celebrating. Stay safe. If you light fireworks, please be careful. Uh, my <laughs> name is Steven and I am the host as always. And joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Doing very well. Um, I'll be with my family on 4th of July weekend or the whole week. And, and then 4th of July, obviously. Should be fun. I used to be like when you're a kid, you want to light off fireworks and do stupid things, you know, as we do. But now that I have a dog and I have a functioning brain and a developed forebrain, like, you know, I want to not do that to avoid the injuries, avoid, you know, upsetting people, neighbors, veterans, et cetera, dogs. So, uh, yeah, no, no fireworks for me. But today's uh, today's my bachelor party. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing today. I was not told what's going on. I just have to be ready by noon, and diet starts tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you'll have a blast. I uh, wish I could make it down, but you know, uh, just scheduling wise didn't work out for me. But you know, the wedding is in uh, two weeks. We got training camp in less than a month, so we got some uh, big time moves being made uh, over there at the Shoon household, and uh, can't wait to participate in the wedding in a couple of weeks. Man, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, gonna be fun. I'm excited. It still feels like, even though it's only two weeks away, it is still two weeks away. So I feel like there's so much I still have to do and things to get done. But 
uh, it's getting more exciting the closer we get. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, if you are participating in Fourth of July, sincerely, please be careful. Uh, last year, there were some fireworks gone awry near my brother and his family of six's house, and uh, they were two houses down from a fire that burned the neighborhood down. So uh, again, just please be careful this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, got a fun show planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about these uh, rookie projections. We've been asked several times on this show, usually on on Saturdays, to you know predict Quentin Johnston's stat line. And uh, today we're officially going to do that. Um, we're also going to discuss Tuli Tui Tui Pelotu's stat line, excuse me, and then Deion Henley. So those are the three main ones of the class, obviously. Uh, a little bit more difficult to predict uh, specific punt return, kick return stats for Darius Davis. Um, Jordan McFadden, Scott Matlock, and Max Duggan are not really projected to play a whole ton. Uh, so we can talk about like what success looks like for them this year. And then, um, you know, we'll dive into the, the bigger, the big three, if you will. Um, after we dive into those stat lines, of course, we'll take some questions today. So uh, make sure you have those ready to rock. Um, Tyler, let's let's talk about the, the last four here, the last four rookies. Um, what does success look like for you for those guys? Hmm. Scott Matlock. I don't, I don't know what order I'm going in. I guess Scott Matlock. I guess making the roster would be a good start, which I think he will. But there's a lot of guys that detackle, so we'll see. Um, a handful of pressures, handful of tackles. Some of the guys at that point, some of these guys, I hope I don't really see them at all. And they're just special teams contributors yeah. um, for Matlock. I do think he's someone with his athleticism, with Jay Rogers, with the D line, with what he can do on film. Like, I think he's someone who could contribute in a pinch and he'll probably have to. I mean, this D line was decimated by injuries. Um, not that the guys in the D line are really injury prone, but, but they're coming back from injuries. So. Um, I'd love to see him get some more run the first couple of games if guys aren't healthy, which he probably will. Um, but, you know, I'm not expecting a ton from him. Max Duggan, hope I never see him. Um, honestly, <laughs> honestly, like if he makes the team and has earned the right to be there, which I assume he will, and they'll use the third emergency spot anyway, like that's fine, I guess. Um, Darius Davis is the one who who you do need to like have success with. And to me, that looks like yeah. something beyond 25 yards on kickoff returns. We'll see what the NFL does with kickoff returns now that the rule is sort of changed. Are they? What are they going to do? How's it going to change things? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think for him, it's just like, I don't really care what he does on offense. Um, if he's someone who has to spell Jalen Guyton early because Guyton's not healthy, fine. But to me, just like get past the 25. Or I even think if it's based on last year, get past the 20. I don't remember what Carter's stats were, but I don't remember being very. It was favorable. it was like nineteen point eight was his average for kickoffs. Yeah, so you know, I don't even need touchdowns to be completely honest. I, I love that, but you know, be consistent, don't fumble. Uh, McFadden's the one I think success for him is he beats out Brendan Hymas, and he maybe shows that he does both guard and tackle uh, sometime this season. I think we might see you know an injury here and there. Um, he'll be the sixth offensive lineman at, at many points, I would think. Um, so I think just seeing that he can kind of do both things and do them well would be nice because then you kind of answer your question moving forward of who your maybe not swing tackle, but who one of your other tackles is and who more of your offensive line depth is. And if he can actually be what Brendan Hymas was sort of supposed to be, 
then you feel really good about your depth. If you can plug him in at tackle, plug him in at guard, and then eventually, you know, one of these guys, they move on from them, um, you know, contracts are contracts. And if he can just slide into one of those spots in a few years, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Scott Matlock first and just like roster construction. I think like not just making it because I think the Chargers generally keep their draft picks, right? Like I would be pretty surprised if they cut any of these guys. Um, I know when they were in San Diego, they cut some draft picks pretty quite often. But um, I I think for me, it's also like making sure that they are not healthy scratches. Like if Scott Manlock is playing every single game, but it's like five, 10 snaps, I think that's a good rookie season for him, you know? And then like stats, I'm not super worried about, but like if he is showing the coaching staff enough where he is not a healthy scratch and he's like able to rotate in and and show some flashes, I think that's, that's a good start for him. And same kind of thing with Jordan McFadden. Um, and, and, you know, because I mean, there's no real like offensive line stats for him. So I think we feel comfortable about McFadden's future, but you know, he is making a transition to a different position and maybe he's doing some Hulk package snaps that we've talked about uh, as um, Lois uh, Bruin brings up in the chat. Maybe he's, you know, working as a, as a six offensive lineman from time to time. So um, anything that he gives you, I think is, is a bonus. So um, in terms of Darius Davis, offensively i don't think there's i don't think i'm expecting a ton from him um anything he gives you is is kind of a cherry on top in terms of return stats like i think the benchmark for an effective punt returner is about 10 yards per um per punt return and that's like an above average punt returner so as long as he's hovering around 10 there as long as he's hovering around ideally like 24 25 yards per kickoff return i think you'll feel good about his rookie season and then, you know, able to to build off of that after that season. Yeah, honestly, I'll, I'll take three yards more per kick return. And honestly, that would be great. I think just adding, you know, maybe what, six, seven opportunities potentially in a game, add three yards each drive, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tyler, uh, do you want to start with Quentin, Thule, or Dayon? Do you want to go one through three, or do you want to go three through one? Uh, we can go, we've already started with the back half, so we can go to Henley next if you want. Okay, sounds good to me. Um, let me just pull up what I have here. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing with Dan, you know, we talked about Eric Kendricks um, quite a bit on the previous show when we were talking about, um, you know, uh, most important chargers. You know, it, one of the things that I'm focusing in for Dayon Henley is more so like snaps and how many chances he's going to get. So, right. In an ideal world for Dayon Henley, what do you think his role looks like? Let's start there, and then let's let's dive into like statistic projections. Yeah, this was this was really really tough because there's no like what Staley did with the Rams is different than Staley in 2021, and the situation with the number of linebackers they had is so different than 2022, which is so different than what they currently have in 2023. Um, you know, adding to all of that calculus is Kenneth Murray's option not being picked up. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of fans and even myself. We're looking at what happened to Jerry Tillery last year. Not that he'll be cut, but he was clearly phased out. The difference is, and I, I do have to really start talking with Kenneth Murray first before I get to Henley, is that Jerry Tillery, they had Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, you know, guys that could actually play over him, and you feel comfortable about that. I mean, Morgan Fox worked with Brandon Staley. He was a veteran, um, a good player. 
He obviously was working with Coach Ed. He was joining Jay Rogers. So it was really a great situation back with his old defensive coordinator who knows how to use him. So him getting over Tillery really early made more sense and eventually, of course, phasing him out altogether. With Kenneth Murray, or even just looking at it, like there aren't really options behind him where you know for sure that this per like Deion Henley, Eamon Ogbonquamiga, Nick Neiman, that those guys could really jump in ahead of Murray. Like you don't actually know that. A lot of fans want it to happen. A lot of fans are like, ooh, the next thing. He's going to take all the snaps from Kenneth Murray the same way, you know, Tillery lost snaps last year. I just, I don't know about that. And I, I was looking at the snaps last year. I was actually almost surprised that Murray played 718 snaps last season and that Troy Reader barely even saw the field. Like it was Reader for garbage time. The one snap that he was hurt against the Seahawks, that, that Murray was hurt against the Seahawks. That was kind of it. Like they really didn't even try to mix it in with a third linebacker. But they did do that in 2021. And then in 2020 with the Rams, there was that like 550, 420, 472 split among three different linebackers. So it's tough to figure out where I think Henley is going to jump in here because they also then have Eric Kendricks, who has played over a thousand snaps the last two seasons. Um, the Chargers have definitely had one player be that close to a thousand snaps kind of guy the last two seasons. It was Kaiser White in 2021, Drew Drinkle in 2022. And that's going to be Eric Kendricks, who is going to be the green dot guy, the signal caller, the veteran. You spend a good amount of money on him, too. So he's going to be out there a lot. And him being out there so much, how much does that then take away from often Kenneth right. Murray's out there? And then with Kenneth Murray being, you know, the guy that they trust currently. Like again, we don't know how Dan Henley looks like in the NFL. Not yet. And we really won't know for weeks and weeks and weeks. So you know, kind of looking at some of the rookies and some of the third rounders in the NFL, um, Leo Chanel and um, Chad Muma, both third rounders last year, mm-hmm. who are part of a stronger rotation, um, like kind of like the LB3s in their group. They played about 250, 300 snaps or so last season. So I, I think that's kind of where Henley's going to hover this year. You want to talk about special teams? Fine. I'm sure he'll be great on special teams. But in terms of defensive snaps, I, I think he's really – going to settle in at LB3 and just kind of, you know, chip in here and there, but really only like 250 snaps, kind of like Chanel and Muma had last season. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Chad Muma because that was kind of the guy that I was going to be discussing in terms of comparison because I think like when you're projecting stat lines for these rookies and like successful seasons for their first year in the NFL, I think you got to start with like comparable situations and that's going to be a theme for for all of these guys, right? Um, comparable players as well. And I think Chad Muma and Deion Henley are, are pretty quality comparisons. You know, Chad Muma, obviously an undersized linebacker, more of a coverage guy, more of a blitzer, um, you know, just freakish instincts when it comes to coverage. And I think that's a similar profile to what you have in Deion Henley. So, you know, I, I think the role there is similar too, because the Jaguars had um, Foyasade uh, Aluakon, I think that's how you say it, as kind of their like clear cut, linebacker one he was the green dot he was the veteran he played a thousand over a thousand snaps for them um it was a little different because they drafted devin lloyd he was a rookie but he was playing a ton too he was like their linebacker too he took some snaps on the edge from time to time you know more of a blitzer more of run defense and i think that's kind of a similar role to how you see kenneth murray in this defense and you're focusing more in on on replacing that part of drew tranquil's game as a blitzer 
focusing in on his ability on the early downs, even though he was like weirdly their best coverage linebacker last year, technically speaking. Um, and then Dayon kind of fills in the gaps. Whether an injury happens, I think that's a different conversation. But um, looking at Chad Muma's role, you know, he played 286 snaps on the regular season. Um, so he he only played 123 run defense snaps. And then it was 10 pass rush snaps, 153 coverage snaps. So I think that's kind of a similar ratio to how you are looking at Dayon Henley and his role is maybe probably like 45, 40% of his snaps are run defense. And then everything else is pass rush and coverage. And I think that's how he, he earns a role as a rookie. Yeah. I mean, the other X factor is obviously health. And that that's really the case for all three of these rookies we're going to talk about because these guys have all have either a history of injuries or they're older or whatever in front of them. So, yeah, I, I, I know fans probably want Henley to be out there and starting, and I get that, and he could be good. But we are talking about a third rounder behind Kendricks, behind a first rounder who's a converted safety who, you know, you can call him LB2 in the past draft, LB3. But that, that doesn't... Like, if you watch the draft and you watch these guys, like LB two in this draft or even three, doesn't really mean as much as maybe some other years. You know, like maybe last year, mm -hmm. I don't know where I would have put Henley compared to Muma, to Lloyd, to um, Dean. You know, those guys. Like he would have been a bit further down, I would think. Yeah. So again, he he. A lot of people love him as like LB two, LB three, and I sure I'm fine with that. But there's a lot he still has to learn. And then we can't forget the fact that Tom Telesco basically came out after he was drafted and said, he's going to be a great special teamer for us, and he might mix in with the defense too. So I, I think where you're kind of thinking along the lines of Chad Muma, that 250 to 300 sort of snap range, I think is perfect. Yeah, and, and again, this is an ideal world. Obviously, if somebody gets injured, then you know he's going to play a lot more. But um, you know, statistically, I think you know Chad Muma had um, was 36 total tackles. Um, you can look at Leo Chanel. Leo Chanel had a bit of a smaller role. He had um, 25 total tackles. You know, the one thing that I like about um, maybe like comparing him to Troy Anderson, who played for mm. the Falcons, again, a smaller size profile. Um, Troy Anderson in Atlanta had 10 pressures. So maybe that's kind of like best case scenario for Dayon as kind of like a blitzer. Um, but you're definitely not going to see a, a huge impact right away from um mr dan henley on defense barring an injury so I, I think like we've seen time and time again with this regime they're going to be patient with their rookies who aren't like penciled in as starters mm -hmm. and you know josh palmer i think from like a snap comparison from like a role comparison might be a good way to look at Deion henley too because he was only getting like 15 20 snaps for the first like six seven eight weeks of that season and then after that, they really started to like ramp him up. And then by yeah. the end of the season, you felt good about him as your wide receiver three. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be similar with Dan Henley. Maybe he plays 15, 20 snaps the first few weeks after the bye week. Maybe that ramps up to 20, 25 snaps per game. And then you just feel really good about that, that depth as your linebacker three. Yep, absolutely. So what are we doing stat-wise here? Um, I, I think I'm comfortable with... I'll say 28 total tackles. I'll say five pressures, one sack, and I'll give him an interception because I do think he's he's got that kind of uh, ability and coverage. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Cool. Yeah. So 
I didn't give him an interception. I, I, <laughs> sure, I'll, sure, you can have an interception. Cool. Um, I said five pressures, two sacks. I, I think that's a bit more than Chanel and Muma had, not combined, mm-hmm. but individually. I think that's that's fair. Staley does like to mix it up in blitz, so that's good. Um, I'll say 35 total tackles, 15 solo, uh, eight run stops. I threw in run stops because, I don't know, why not? Okay, if we're doing run stops, I was, I'll probably give him like seven. So same kind of okay. Thing. We're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, let's get to Tuli Tui Polo. Too. I've gotten some uh, interesting questions and comments about him because um, you know just kind of his role and how the Charters might be viewing him. Um, so I, I think for me, when it comes down to his projecting his role, I think we can look at how Arden Key has kind of carved out his role in the NFL for the Niners and for the Jaguars uh, recently. And then, of course, he got a pretty big contract for the uh, Titans this year. Um, But if you look at Arden Key and and what he's done, like because when he was drafted by the Raiders, the Raiders used him almost exclusively like on the edge. Um, You know, he had 396 total snaps in 2020 for the Raiders and only 20 of those snaps were not on the edge. Um, so he goes to San Francisco, goes to the pass rusher rehabilitation camp uh, over there up in the Bay, um, and he logs 327, or th- excuse me, 370 snaps in 2021 for them, um, 76 in the B-gap, 67 over the tackle, and then 227 out on the edge. Um, and then that kind of hybrid role that he played for the 49ers was kind of ramped up a little bit more with the Jaguars, he played he played more snaps overall for them. Um, but that is something that I think we can look at Thule as, as a strength of his, as somebody who can kick inside. And I think he's not necessarily going to play that many snaps as we saw with Arden Key, because Arden Key's, you know, established veteran at that point in his career. Um, but that kind of percentage where he gives you maybe like 10% of his snaps in the B gap, 10% uh, over the tackle, and then, you know, kind of fill in the rest on the edge is something I think we can look forward to. And that is something that we asked Tom Telesco about, you know, when we interviewed him a couple months ago, that Brandon Staley didn't necessarily think that Thule not being like a pure edge rusher was a hindrance of them drafting him. He was going to be able to take him and put him in the best role possible. And we saw that at Thule last year where USC was using him as a stand-up rusher. They're using him as, I don't think he should play one tech as much as USC had him playing, but like, as a three tech, as a five tech, as an edge rusher, you know, you can replicate some of the stuff that they did with Calvin Noy early in the season as a stand-up rusher. And I think, you know, that kind of ratio it down a little bit because he is a rookie, but I think that kind of role where he's kind of playing all across the line, I think fits Thule's skill set pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I I do have a question. It seems obvious the answer, but we, we sort of talked about this with Josh Palmer. It does Thule start the season as edge three, which I know sounds ridiculous because they drafted him in the second round, but they didn't take a running back who was 20 and he barely saw the field over Larry Roundtree. So like, does he start the season as edge three, to be honest? I think he does. I If the Chargers had a better edge four, uh, I think we can have a, a different conversation. Like if they brought back Kyle Van Oy, or if they signed yeah. somebody else, I think we're having a different conversation. But I think Thule's ability to set the edge as a run defender and his ability to, you know, create tackles for loss, 
create pressures, create sacks. I think that just you feel better about his potential and ability than you do Chris Frump at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not a slight. Chris Frump was a, was a fifth round draft pick. You know, uh, we're not ex- exactly expecting a ton from him. But Thule, I think, is just further along in his development than Isaiah Spiller was. And also Spiller was in a crowded backfield. Like there was no real like, you know, scenario where he was going to be come in and play 600 snaps behind mm-hmm. Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly and Sony Michelle. And so I think he's just was, was in a bit more of a tougher situation role wise. But I think, I think Thule like is clearly like the edge three and Jay Rogers, when he interviewed with Eric Smith, mentioned like third down like they're gonna have a third down package for Tuli, and i think that's something that chargers fans should be excited about oh that is exciting i missed that one um so when i was looking through and uh, trying to figure out how many snaps or not jay rogers sorry Giff smith oh okay either way i think yeah. jay rogers probably say the same thing but um <laughs> i was just kind of looking through the edge threes that you know staley's worked with generally when i'm trying to do these comps i look at you know who was who what did the coordinator do before uh, and so for the Rams, yeah. it was Justin Hollins, 349 defensive snaps, 2021, Kyler Fackrell, 382. Um, in 2022, it was uh, Chris Rumpf in terms of snaps. Obviously, he wasn't the edge three. Technically, he was the edge four, but he played the edge three snaps in terms of the most snaps or third most at 300. So I was kind of looking for players, rookie players who are on you know pretty solid lines who are the edge three or at least play the, the, the edge three snaps over the last uh, couple of seasons. Um, so I was looking at last year, Drake Jackson, Jermaine Johnson, and Sam Williams at 315, 312, and 274 to kind of come up with a, a general snap count and um, stat line for them. So we can talk about stats in a second, I guess. But that's kind of the comps I was looking for. Just wh- wh- how many snaps does this player have? Um, and then, like I asked, I wanted to ask you about Chris Rump because I really wasn't sure where he'd fit in. How many snaps does he take? Because over the last three seasons, the edge three and four combined have had like 800 snaps for the Chargers because yeah. guys are hurt or it was, a, you know, somebody was a, a decent edge three. So I really wasn't sure how much Chris Rumpf would be playing here. We'll see. Maybe they think he's a better rusher than Tudor right now. I don't know. Um, we'll certainly find out pretty quick. Um, the other question that was going through my mind to try to figure out what Tuli would do this year is are they going to cut back on Khalil Max? snaps and joey bosa snaps because i was kind of surprised i guess maybe not because their guys were hurt but khalil mack finished the season playing 82 percent of the team's defensive snaps i don't know what is typical for an edge rusher but i felt like that's a bit excessive yeah um, at this point and i think that really did show throughout the season it was like okay things started to kind of be a bit less efficient because he was playing so much um, but to start the season, like Joey Bosa played over 91% of the snaps the first two games. And I don't know how long that would have gone for. Um, maybe just really like the matchups against the, the Raiders and the Chiefs. You know, against the Chiefs, obviously you want Joey Bosa out there. But I'm really curious how much they might peel back their roles this past season because Khalil Mack is another year older. Joey Bosa is recovering from an awful injury. Yes, he says he feels great. But again, like things, shit happens. So I'm really curious how much Thule can eat up the snaps that maybe they get, take away from Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa this year. Yeah, I think 82% is a lot for Khalil. I I would say that you're trying to maybe get him down to like 75, maybe 70% of snaps. 
Um, I don't think they really had a choice last year because Joey was down. Like they're just like you just couldn't work around that, right? So I think with Joey healthy and with Thule hitting his stride this year, I think you can work Khalil down to 70-75%. And maybe that gives Thule the chance to I guess that could theoretically be spread through him and through Chris Rumpf, but I think in an like an ideal world for Thule, he's playing more snaps than the guys that you mentioned. Maybe he's playing 350 snaps on the season. Um, yeah. And maybe he's giving you 25, 30 snaps a game as opposed to like 20, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe you kind of are giving 10, 15 snaps a game to Chris Rumpf on, on the edge too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So for my stats, again, not that it really matters, but a sort of a bump up over the three guys that I mentioned. Like you said, I think he, I think he will mix in for yeah. a lot of snaps, and he does play on it. Like the defense does play on it. He's going to get a lot of one on ones. Yeah, that too. But yes, absolutely that too. But also, I think that in theory, the offense should score a lot of points, which means the defense will have to be out there and they'll be throwing a lot. So I think he could rack up some snaps there too. So I'm going to go. I didn't have solo tackles on here, but 35 total tackles, 14 run stops, 17 pressures, and four sacks. Yeah, so when you're you're comparing to those guys, like I think people will hear 17 pressures and maybe be a little disappointed. But um, I think like with an edge rusher who's not like a premier prospect coming in, I think you're trying to get to around 20 pressures total. Um, you know, Trayvon Walker last year was 36, just to give an example there. He was the number one overall pick. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau was at 40, Aiden Hutchinson at 53, George Karloff is 48. Uh, when Chase Young won defensive rookie of the year in 2020, he was at like 42. So (laughs) coming in as a rookie pass rusher is difficult. So 17, I think is, is fair. I'm a little higher on him as just his role. So yeah. 17 is uh, I think a good floor for me but mm-hmm. I would I would land more in like the 21 to 22 range mm. um so I'm gonna say officially 21 pressures I'll give him five sacks um total tackles I said 30 and then run stops I said 12 because I feel like yeah that third down role is probably more of his his thing than like being a true run defense edge because I think that is gonna be Joey and Khalil um so I, I think you focus on efficiency i would love to be know enough about pass rushers to project like win rates and stuff like that <laughs> um but i think as long as Tuli can get to 20 ish pressures i think you feel really good about his rookie season yeah um, and hopefully that translates to four to six sacks ish if let's say he has to start half a season one guy gets hurt or two both guys get hurt x amount of games and it amounts to about half a season what are we kind of thinking here? Breaking 30, hopefully. Yeah, if he has to start like six games, let's sure. call it six games. If he has to yeah. start six games, I think he could push maybe up to 30, 30 pressures. Yeah, I think that Arnold Evacati was a starter for the Falcons last year. He had 28 pressures. Mm-hmm. Kingsley and Agbari was kind of an edge three-ish for the Packers. He had 25, so... If Thule is starting six games, I think you can see him get 28, 30 pressures. Yeah, and he's in a good spot. Um, that's only two. That's only two more pressures. It's only two pressures a game. Ish. 
And it sounds weird to give the guy only like 1.1 pressures per game. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's the edge three and then mixed in with Rumpf and mixed in with Derwin and mixed in with Henley and mixed in with Murray and Kendrick yeah. and these guys that can rush. I mean, you know, Josh Taylor should be rushing as well. Different you know spots, obviously. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but I think you feel good about as long as, like I said, as long as he's getting around 24 or five stacks, I think you feel really good about his his rookie season. Yep. Um, and then you got to show some flashes to hopefully convince the team that you can be the edge two next year because that's a that's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to Quentin Johnston here. And then um, obviously this is kind of the, the big one that people are going to be focusing in on. And then uh, we'll take some questions after that. So um, in doing Quentin's, I think you have to really take into consideration like averages under Justin Herbert over the last three years. And so you have mm-hmm. to kind of pace in Keenan and Mike Williams averages for last season because they missed so much time. But yeah. Um, over the last three seasons, I went through and just kind of averaged out uh, the targets. Well, first of all, for attempts, completion, yards, touchdowns for Herbert, and then targets, receptions, yards, touchdowns for Allen, Williams, and Eckler, because I do think all three of those guys play a huge role in the offense, right? So mm-hmm. um, after you kind of average out those three you're left with um, basically around 320 attempts for Herbert, 190 completions, around 2,000 yards, around 14 touchdowns for the rest of the players on offense. And that is assuming that the players stay relatively healthy here. But Mm -hmm. just to give you everybody an idea, because there's always like how much football is there around to go to all these players. I think there's enough of Justin Herbert's career average to make you feel good about what Quentin's kind of role is. Um, so that's how I started, but for you, Tyler, what's kind of uh role wise, a successful rookie season for Quentin? Yeah. So I, I started with the Cowboys and Kellen Moore. I'm like, okay, this guy likes to use three wide receivers a lot. They do a ton of three wide receiver sets. 
So what was the target share for that wide receiver three over the four years with Kellen Moore? So um, it's changed every year. The wide receiver three in terms of targets was Randall Cobb, then Michael Gallup, then Cedric Wilson, then Noah Brown. So there's no like consistent guy. So it's tough to particularly tell, but they did all hover around the same target share relative to the targets they got versus the attempts from the quarterbacks. Now, obviously mixed in here is that Justin Herbert has always, like when he's out there, he's playing. Whereas for the Cowboys, it's been like Ben DiNucci and Cooper Rush and some of these guys, Andy sure. Dalton and Dak Prescott. But still, like even with all of that, and maybe that's why we like Kellen Moore, they've been pretty consistent with target share. So um, through the four years, 2019 to 2022, the wide receiver three had about 13%, 15%, 10% and about 12.5% of the targets um, that season. So if you average just what they did in Dallas, it was 77 targets, 51 catches, 707 yards, 4.25 touchdowns, and about a 12.6% target share. Um, the good news, if you're a wide receiver in this offense, and as I'm sure you noticed with, with Justin Herbert, is that Herbert throws it a lot, and they're going to mm-hmm. throw it quite a bit. So it actually is really encouraging looking at what they did in Dallas with I'd say less talented wide receivers. Um, I'm sure Gallup, like, yeah, he's more established at this point. Randall Cobb was what he was and had a good season. But, like, Quincy Johnson is very talented. He's with Justin Herbert. So I think that the floor is is high, is high for him, and it's even potentially a bit higher because Herbert's going to throw the ball a lot more. Although the Cowboys, they were balanced, but they still, like, Dak or the Cowboys in general threw within, like, the top 10, sometimes top 5, um, in terms of attempts each year. So it won't be a, a drastic jump, but Herbert still had, you know, 686 attempts over the past two seasons. So, you know, I think Johnston being in that sort of 12.5% target share based on the number of attempts that Herbert has will be pretty solid. Um, the only thing that's a bit of a hang-up is the player you mentioned, which is Austin Eckler, because Ezekiel Elliott, who has been their, you know, target hog... I guess over the last four years, kind of um, for the Cowboys, he's never had more than 70 targets in a season. Um, And and Austin Eckler over the past four years, even with an injured 2020 had 375 targets. Whereas I think Zeke had like 220 over the last four seasons. So that's the only kind of hang up is how much does Austin Eckler be involved this year compared to well last year for his own self. And then Ezekiel Elliott over the last four seasons. So, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of stick that. I'll keep it kind of the same for, for Johnson here. Um, so I guess my stats for that and looking at like Josh Palmer, um, his 98 targets last year, which is as many as Michael Gallup had when he was the wide receiver three. Um, it's a bit more than the wide receiver threes tend to have under Kellen Moore, but still like, I think again, Justin Herbert is going to throw more and they did draft Quentin Johnson in the first round. So there, there should be a plan here. Um, I'm yeah. assuming to get him the football. So it's not like he's just a wide receiver three. He's like the guy they drafted in the first round to be the right. heir apparent to somebody else. Um, so stat line for me is going to be if it's 12.5% target share. So 81 targets. Um, and then, or, yeah, so 80 targets, 55 catches, 750 yards, and I'll say five touchdowns. Okay, that's pretty That's pretty close to what I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you brought up target share. I think that's extremely valuable, especially in projecting this, because it's that's definitely easier to 
see a role than it is for like pass rusher snaps or linebacker snaps. Totally. Um, so a target share is, is a huge thing there. So I looked at target share for the chargers. I, I should have done it for mm-hmm. Kellen Moore's offense, but um, yeah, the, the two things with, with Quentin that are, I'm most curious about is, you know, Eckler and his role, which will yeah. come down. He's not going to catch 107 passes this year. Um, and then Palmer too. And so Palmer obviously had those weeks where he was like wide receiver one. So his, his target share last year, I think is not indicative of really like the, the role of wide receiver three. Um, and then too, I also looked at again, rookie situations who were maybe similar to him. And obviously the quarterbacks are, are different here, but I think if you look at, um, situationally and quarterback wise who's like the closest rookie you can look at quentin johnston i think you have to look at gabriel davis in 2020 for the bills um you know they had a very clear-cut wide receiver one in stefan diggs they had a clear-cut wide receiver two granted it was cole beasley that year still so Mm -hmm. slot versus mike williams as the x is it's a little different but from a target perspective it's it's pretty similar um and then dawson knox pretty similar to what gerald everett is like they did not have Devin Singletary was not nearly involved in the passing game as Austin Eckler, but more involved than Zico Elliott. So kind of similar, at least in terms of the situation and the role, um, Gabriel Davis on his rookie season, not including the playoffs for the bills that year, just regular season had 61 targets, 35 receptions, 599 yards and seven touchdowns. So for him, it was really like, he had a massive a dot. He had a lot of explosive plays, and red zone usage was very, very high for for Gabriel Davis. So I think there's there's a similar role there for Quentin. Although I do think that he will get more volume than Gabriel Davis did, but that yeah. was kind of like the most similar role that I was able to find in terms mm. of situation. Nice. Um, so my prediction was 75 targets. I had 48 receptions, and then uh, what was your yardage that you said? I made it an even even seven fifty. Okay, so I I had six hundred ninety five yards, and then I had six touchdowns. Yeah, I think that's. I just took the. I think they just took like the yards average for the Cowboys and Chargers, and I think we're pretty similar. Like if you went to the same targets and receptions, be pretty close. Yeah, yeah. So um, again, I think you feel really good about that rookie season. I think. Yeah. Um, Anything over like 650, anything over like 40 receptions, I think you feel good about Quentin's rookie season. Like there's so many weapons here that you're talking about. Like, yeah, you know, because Josh Palmer could really eat into that still. Like, I don't think Josh Palmer is going to go away lightly whenever he gets healthy, but mm-hmm. um, I do expect them to feature Quentin pretty heavily. Yeah. The only other hang up I had was, okay, what if they're more explosive on offense? And instead of leading the league in dropbacks, you find a way to have a, you know, your defense might play well and suddenly you don't have to throw it as much or when you throw it you score in six plays instead of 16 so I'm, I'm a little curious you know how many opportunities like how many targets are realistic relative to how fast they could score i mean in theory quentin johnson you give him a screen he could score from 40 yards out and that's partially why you got him or you could throw it deep to him so yeah i'm curious how much that fluctuates they're still going to throw it a lot i would think I don't trust this defense to hold things to close games or at least hold another offense down. But yeah, I, I think I, w- I would just caution fans to not compare it to what Josh Palmer did last year. I just yeah. don't think he, like, I don't think he gets 98 targets. Um, and Josh Palmer had a pretty high catch rate on that too, even though he dropped a couple. So 
again, like the 98 targets that Palmer had, which was what Michael Gallup had in 2020, are huge outliers to the other three years under Kellen Moore. And again, he never had an Ezekiel Elliott in terms of someone who could hog targets. So, yeah, don't compare like the raw numbers to Josh Palmer. What you probably want to look for is like yards per route run. Because I think Josh Palmer's argument is that he racked up a lot of stats. And he did, but the yards per route run wasn't so hot. Although that's kind of a Joe Lombardi thing too. Yeah, and I think also like, you know, Palmer worked from the slot quite often. You know, the role is just, is just different. Like I think Quentin, you're you're doing a lot of more deep stuff. You're doing a lot more digs. You know, yards after catch. So I think, like snaps wise, like you're looking at um, probably a similar role, but mm-hmm. not just it, it. It's just a little different. I I, I did went go and look at Palmer and Guyton combined in 2020 or 2021. Excuse me. Um, that's a little shakier obviously because that's two players different roles but you know that was 91 targets between the two of them that year 64 receptions 801 yards and seven touchdowns um that was basically with like a 50 50 split at wide receiver three um so i i don't i guess my my biggest question for quentin is is how involved is josh palmer um do we see an initial 50 50 split and then it kind of works up to maybe 60-40 Quentin. Does it go further than that? Um, what do you make of that kind of conversation with Josh Palmer? Just in terms of the wide receiver three, I, first I got to see if Palmer can get back on the field, but it just seems like he can, um, but he hasn't so far. So hopefully this isn't a thing that extends into training camp, and we'll find out in three and a half weeks. Um. It's tough because before I would have said Palmer is the wide receiver three for all of a week or two, you know, three days, and then Quentin Johnson takes over. But, I mean, Quentin Johnson's been the only guy out there, so I feel like he's already, you know, whatever the share would have been before, Johnson's already eaten into that and, and I think established himself a bit. So, um, I don't know. It's tough because if you look at the wide receiver four then for the Cowboys, it was never like, like it was – you know, one guy hogged targets, like C.D. Lamb, 140-something or whatever. Right. Next guy, you know, 80-something. The third guy, you know, 70-something. But then the wide receiver four was like 15, 20 targets. Um, so it really dropped off dramatically there. So to be easy numbers, I'll say like 75-25 sort of split. Um, I think that would have been mm-hmm. maybe more 60-40 before where Johnston takes the wide receiver three, um, 60, but he's been out there and he's been improving and like everyone's saying like Derwin James, Derek Ansley, Kellen Moore, everyone's like, yeah. dude, this guy looks really good. <laughs> and so to, to, to be out there looking that great, building that chemistry and then Palmer's not out there right now. I just think that it, it, whatever it was before, it's not as close as it was. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think 75, 25 might be a, a little rich for me. Um, but I do think like worst case scenario is probably 60, 40. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I do, I do think, that Quentin is going to carve out a really, really big role this year. Um, again, first round prospect, like they love this guy and everybody, like you said, is, is mm-hmm. raving about him. So um, should be fun, man. I'm excited to see how it pans out. Josh Palmer is your wide receiver for feel pretty good about that room. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I don't, I can't say this with certainty, but it feels like the best wide receiver four in the league. I can't think of another wide receiver four where you have someone who could just walk in and get 750. Mm-hmm. You know, if needed as like a wide receiver too. The one thing I do want to look up is 2017 because Mike Williams 
Like for all the projections we have, Mike Williams had a really bad rookie year. Um, yeah. Although that was kind of injury based. Um, so it's kind of a different thing. So yeah, Mike Williams. So they went 147 targets for Keenan. Of course, he finally stayed healthy. Then Tyrell Williams, 68. Travis Benjamin, 63. Mike Williams, 23. So th- there is also that outcome. He was he dealt with an injury though, right? Like it wasn't like he was fully healthy that year. Yeah, it was off and on. He did play ten games at least. Okay, so uh, I'm hoping for the higher end of this. It, it's interesting because we both gave you know our, our staff projections, but it could it could easily be over a thousand if someone gets hurt, and it right. could easily be significantly less because oh wait, we put pads on and he can't dr- catch anymore or something, which I hope not, but. We'll see. Yeah, I think it, it it's an exciting rookie season, though, um, for most of these guys. I, I, I do feel good about this this group, this trio specifically. Yeah. Do you want to project any rushes for Quinton? Any rushes? Probably not. <laughs> he's got to have a... Well, he's not I, a think he'll get a, I think he'll get a few jet sweeps, but I, I think that's more Darius Davis's role. Yeah. Okay. As that gadget guy. Yeah. Um, all right, so we have um, about 10 minutes. We can take some questions for you guys. Um, as always, uh, Super Chats are appreciated, but not necessary. Um, so if you have been dying to ask a question this morning, now is the time for that. And if you guys don't completely hate us and you want to leave us a nice review, uh, you can leave us a review on the Chargers Podcast Network if you'd like. Just say, hey, you know, these guys aren't complete idiots. Um, or, you know, something positive like that, <laughs> go for it. Um, yeah, do that. That sounds, that'd be great. If you have any free time, I'm getting married. So that's, that's going to be on my registry actually. Um, it's <laughs> a review. So instead of presents, just give Tyler a review on the charter spot. Yeah. 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 Positive one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I swear I saw questions before and I've lost all of them. So there was a, a conversation earlier about uh, Gerard Clark in here. Mm. Um, have you watched him? I have. I have. What do you think? I think he's being really, really overrated. By I him. agree. I I only watched one game. I yeah. forget who it was. Maybe it was the USC game. But I was watching it and going. He's uh, very large. And he can really use that size to his uh advantage from time to time but i watched four games oh, there are well. some there are some really big technique issues and he has a really bad tendency to stand straight up at the snap and you're getting no pass rush with gerard clark so yeah he's the chargers undrafted free agent who i think has the best chance of making it because of the injuries but people like talking about him like being the next jamal williams and like all this stuff that i've seen online like pump the bricks yeah i first of all, i don't know how much you know coastal carolina everyone's watching but apparently it's a lot because as soon as they added him to the undrafted free agent <laughs> list they're like yeah man um listen i hope he does well and every year there's not a weirder room for roster projections and what changes even after they make the roster than detackle anything could happen foster merrill made it and then was cut, and they brought in Aaron Banks, and then everyone else got cut. <laughs> so, like, you know, like, Braden Foco made it last year, gave a beautiful speech, and they cut him the next week. So, Clark could make it, um, sure. but that doesn't mean he's safe, because this D-tackle is the weirdest room to project under Brandon yeah. Staley so far by quite a bit. 
yeah, I, I didn't, I'm not going to have any kind of evaluation on him because, but I really wanted to go into it watching, you know, someone that I thought was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Granted, you know, guys like Fahoko, I didn't really think that like he has no pass rush and then out of LSU it was kind of boring. Um, so, but Clark, yeah, I was, I was surprised watching, gosh, what game did I watch? But he was, I was hoping for at least like that nose tackle plug. Like if that's all you can do, that's yeah. how you make this roster. Because Otito at this doesn't look like he's going to be starting the season. So like, boom, there's your role on the team. Fantastic. Matlock's not doing that. Nick Williams not really doing that. And you don't really want Sebastian Joseph Day have to always do that. So yeah, I was like, okay, here we go. And then just watching him, like you said, no, no pass rush, which is fine. He's an undrafted free agent. These guys aren't, you know, world beaters. They would have been drafted earlier or drafted at all. Mm-hmm. But I, I was definitely disappointed on first watch with him. Not that there's nothing to work with. Not that he's bad by any means. I just like fans were like, this is it. This is the guy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this guy. And I just was like, oh, um, it's an undrafted free agent. He's an undrafted free agent. Like that was my takeaway, which is fine. But I was hoping for just, yeah, like some guys like maybe like Andrew Farmer, uh, Mikey Ziki. It's like, okay, I see a, like a little, like a little bit more, like a, like a, a draftable kind of grade sort of thing. Yeah, I think with um, with Clark, there's definitely potential there. Like his size profile is is really indicative of a true nose tackle player. Um, there's just a lot of technique issues there. Um, I just I don't really think he has a great chance of of making it um, unless Johnson and Otito are both out to start the year. Like it has to be both, in my opinion, because to me, like the way Brandon Stadium wants to set up this room and Jay Rogers is you have two guys who are one to three techs. You have two guys who are three to five techs. And then you have two guys who can fill in the gaps, right? And so Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson are your one to three techs. You have Morgan Fox and Nick Williams, who are your three to five techs. And then you need guys who can fill in the gaps. And that's where Otito comes in. That's where Chris Hinton comes in. And with gerard clark he's exclusively a one tech like that's why you need multiple guys injured in my opinion for him to make it and i just i i don't see it i think chris hinton makes it over gerard clark if one of austin johnson or otito bonia are healthy because chris hinton can play across the line he can do what gerard clark does as a run defender and then he can also rush the passer Mm -hmm. so i understand that there's like this need for a one one tech but that's what sebastian joseph day and austin johnson are for that's what otito ogonia is for and you don't really have a role for gerard clark unless both of those guys are injured yeah there's also a small chance because like daniel popper projected four tight ends for this team with stone smart making it and they're gonna have six wide receivers this year i think you only had three running backs making it but you know this team like it'll be four for some stupid reason um like one position group does have to lose somebody. So we're, we might not even have a six spot open for these guys. I think they right. would, right. but they might look at Hinton at Clark at Moa, I guess Williams to a certain extent and say, listen, we'll keep a couple of you around on the practice squad and we'll call up as needed. It's kind of what they did with Covington and with Hoko last year. Um, both had to play eventually. Um, and Moa and Hinton obviously had to play too. So I don't I don't know if there's enough of a different differentiation between those guys where they'll just go, we'll keep two on the practice squad, call up as needed. Yeah, exactly. 
I, with the three quarterbacks, with potentially keeping six receivers, you know, you don't really know if JC is going to be healthy. Maybe you have to keep six corners. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you have to take away from a position somewhere, and defensive tackle might be that position. Yeah. And it doesn't even seem like linebacker would be that, which is even less valuable. But I, I don't know. Who do you cut? Right. I, I, it's not really what I'm in favor of cutting at that point. Exactly. All right. A couple questions here before we head out. That was a bit longer than I thought it would go. But um, Jack Foley wants to know biggest concern depth wise. What position groups are we most concerned about besides the obvious Herbo? Um, I mean, tackles the one we've been talking about, which I, I said, I said Donald Parham last year was the top 10 most important player on the Chargers team this year. Because yeah. I mean, the difference again, PFF run blocking grades aren't everything, but he was 19th. The other three tight ends that played were like, 90s out of 100 um which is bad so like the it's not like the depth behind him is bad is that there's no like even he's not even he's not even the starter but the blocking is awful so that's worrisome um running back is sort of still worrisome like we feel positive about the guys behind Eckler but there's still a lot of unknown so yeah those yeah, and I think also safety. I think you have to mention oh, yeah, safety uh, outside of Derwin. I think we feel good about Alohi Gilman, but mm-hmm. I think maybe the team probably feels better about him than we do, and that's I think that's saying a lot. But still, like safety three, safety four, I think are a concern. If Derwin James goes down, I mean, in general, you're going to lose a step. But if you go from Derwin and Alohi to Alohi and JT Woods or Alohi and Raheem Lane, like that safety room could be in trouble if Derwin if Derwin is not able to stay healthy I'm, I'm nervous about that did Staley play a lot of single high uh no not that <laughs> I remember um okay I just curious like at some point that might be the choice yeah like you might have to I mean Dayon played safety maybe he's your safety five <laughs> if he gets snapped at safety over JT Woods we're doomed <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I think those are good ones. Um, at, at tackle, at least we know that you could maybe f- flip Jamari out there. You could That's true. McFadden out there. I think the the two biggest concerns for me are safety and tight end. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, an injury question, Thomas C- Costello. Uh, injuries have been a huge concern these last five years. What do we know about the new strength and conditioning hires? Uh, we'll add really quickly. The Chargers were one of the most healthy teams in 2021. Um, so it was not necessarily a huge concern that year. Um, we'll see what happens this year with this new coaching staff. Obviously, last year was kind of a, a disaster, but um, in terms of the new strength and conditioning hires, I don't know if we know a whole lot about them really until we see them see what it looks like this year because we know that yeah. Brandon Staley obviously felt that there was a change needed for head athletic trainer. And they've continued to invest in sports performance. So I think they're taking necessary steps to make sure that they are doing the absolute most to prevent injuries. But sometimes freak injuries just happen in football. Yeah. I I don't know much about them except one guy went to Cal State Fullerton, tighten up. Um, Fresno State. Yeah, there you go. I know. Look at that. (laughs) It's good for us. Um, Even if we learn and we feel really good about them this year, again, as Steven just said, in 2021, things were great. The Chargers had like one and a half starters out, uh, two starters out, whatever it was, against the um, the Raiders to close out the season. 
Um, and then last year was last year. We all saw what happened last year. So I hope they're good. You know, change, change is good. You know, I hope they're the, the Ryan Ficken of, of strength and conditioning coaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Adam Weir wants to know what we think of any of the undrafted corners. So I've only watched uh, Taiwan Mullen. Have you watched any of the other ones? Nope, haven't gotten to DBs yet. Okay. So Mullen's fun. Uh, he's kind of a similar body type and role projection for like Akeem on Hall, where it's like oh, okay. a pretty good special team player. He can give you some uh, pass rush blitzing ability. Pretty good against the run. Uh, but he's small, man. He's 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 a small player. So I, I'm not as optimistic about any of the corners this year. I think if any six corner makes it, I think it probably is Kimon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, last question here. A super chat from Chorizo Compapas, our guy driving to Pismo Beach. Lucky for him getting away from the Fresno heat. I'm very jealous. It's going to be a hot one this weekend. Um, he wants to know what's more important to be to a successful season, being able to consistently run the ball to close out games or stopping the run and limiting explosive plays. If I had to pick, um, I think Justin Herbert is so gosh darn. Like, yeah, you want to be able to run the ball, but Herbert's such a careful dude that he could throw it and you, you're not, he's not going to turn the ball over. Like, it's just not who he is. He might do it once every eight games, but he's, he's, he's generally been able to close it out for you. Um, so if I had to pick, it'd be stopping the run, limiting those explosive plays. You know, stop getting so many wins early and then back-breaking 60-yarder, back-breaking 50-yarder. That just can't happen. Um, to yeah. me, the, the success of the, the season and the defense, really for me at, at this point, what I hope for the defense, I hope it's good, first off. But if it's not, at least get turnovers. Generate turnovers, generate explosive plays. Um, even if it's kind of inconsistent, um, I would love for them to at least like Get some more interceptions, more sack fumbles or whatever, more strips. Um, at this point, I don't know how good the defense is going to be, but if you can be a playmaker defense and kind of like the Chiefs had to be, like just give Herbert another one. Give Herbert two more opportunities. And that's kind of what I hope for this team. That's, I think, makes it a successful season. Yeah, I think if you – because he added that last part, I think you have to choose the latter. I think in general, if you're just talking about – running the football or stopping the run. Mm -hmm. I think that's a different conversation maybe, but if you're talking about limiting the explosive runs, I think that's a bigger key for this team because it was such a concern last year. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why you bring in Eric Kendricks. I think it's part of the reason why you are choosing Elohi Gilman as your starter. It's part of the reason why you're choosing just your Taylor as your run defense nickel corner. Um, so limiting the explosive plays, I think, has to be the answer here. If it's just general run the football or stop the run, I think I would maybe lean more towards running the football. But if you are adding the explosive plays, I think you have to choose the latter here. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I mean, Justin Herbert in the passing game are going to carry such a weight that I I don't. Uh, I think I would probably choose the latter regardless. Now that I think about what you brought up with Herbert. Yeah, I would say so. I think of like the Washington game in 2021 where it's like yeah, Herbert's just going to sling it. Third and 14, you find Keenan. Fourth and whatever, like found Keenan. Um, I don't even know if they ran the ball once during that kind of clock-chewing drive. Mm, at the end of the game? No, I don't think so. <laughs> there was like um, 
I mean, in 2021, they were definitely better at running the football on a more consistent basis. Like the Monday night game against the Raiders was a yep. great, like run the football, close out drive. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one like later in the season that I really loved. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head that year, but uh, it might have been the Bengals game. They maybe. I- that that was actually my first thought too, but then that's also the game Eckler had like two fumbles. So <laughs> I think they closed out well. I feel yeah. like yeah, yeah. But yeah, hopefully we get a better rushing attack this year, and I think we will. Um, all right, last comment here from uh, Tyler's mom, Mama Shun. She says, "Love y'all. Happy Fourth. Uh, hope everyone has a great weekend." That's going to do it for us. Um, like I said previously, we are recording our Chargers episode tomorrow. That will go live on tuesday on the 4th of july uh so definitely stay tuned for that one uh make sure you are checking that out when you're grilling watching fireworks whatever you decide to watch that we appreciate it um like tyler said earlier if you could leave us a review on the chargers podcast feeds that would be fantastic it'd be really help us out on that side of things make sure you're subscribed like the show all that good stuff um all right tyler that's going to do it for us hope you enjoy your bachelor party today I'm getting ready for the home stretch here of uh, wedding time, and I'm excited to uh, participate in that. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.